from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Uh, any Women's World Cup year, if we win um, and we are awarded the about $2 million, uh, we'll split that with the men. And in turn, on a Men's World Cup year, whatever they're awarded as bonus, uh, they'll split with us. I remember feeling very conflicted because you're right, like we weren't treated poorly. Uh, we were able to make a living playing a sport that we love. So, you know, I, I didn't know where the line was of, yes, we need to push the sport forward. We need to fight for equality. Um, but also, I'm still extremely grateful for, for what we were given. Yeah, you know, I, I look at all the, the young girls that are out there running around on the soccer fields today, and it's just, you know, um, just a higher ceiling for them. So um, that's really exciting. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last week, the U.S. Soccer Federation announced that its new collective bargaining agreement would pay women's soccer players on the national team the same as the men. That is a first for soccer federations worldwide, and it comes after years of advocacy and a high-profile push by female athletes. One of those athletes is Lori Lawson. You may remember her as Lori Kolupny. Before she took her husband's name, Lori was a member of the U.S. women's national soccer team. She was part of the team that won the 2015 World Cup. She also won a gold medal as part of the 2008 Olympic team. Today, she is the head women's soccer coach at Maryville University, and she joins us today. Lori Lawson, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. So, Lori, there's been a lot of excitement about this agreement. What are you hearing? from your fellow women soccer players. Yeah, we are very excited. This is a long time coming. I mean, this is this is years and years of hard work. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we are very excited. This is exactly what we've been working towards and, and to have this day finally here. Um, we're, we're very excited um, and, and hopefully also sort of sets a precedent for, for other countries moving forward that, that it doesn't end here, but kind of continues uh, to grow. Yeah, it's interesting that this is the first anywhere in the world. We don't always think of the U.S. as, as leading the world way when it comes to some marks of, of women's parity and women's advancement. What do you think was the key to the, the women's soccer players being able to win this victory here in the U.S.? Yeah, well, there's a lot a lot that goes into it. I think, um, first of all, I want to uh, just shout out the men's national team who mm -hmm. came to the table with the women. Um, I think that was incredibly powerful. As you know, how much power there is in unity. When we are together yeah. um, in a fight, it is so much more powerful. So the men's national team, uh, they were behind the women completely in this. They came to the table with U.S. soccer and said, we will not settle for anything less than equality for the women. So I think that's extremely powerful and really shows uh, where where our men's national team is at. Yeah, I mean, that's remarkable. And by doing that, my understanding of how this works with things like championship bonuses, things like that, they're actually giving up. I mean, that's a, a pretty big concession that affects them as players. Exactly. I think that's that speaks volumes. It's huge that, um, and I think both sides uh, gave up 
up a little bit, you know, uh, to make this happen. Uh, but at the end, I think everybody wins, you know. So uh, the women are sharing a, a portion of their uh, um, championship bonuses with the men. The men are in turn sharing their championship bonuses with the women. So tell us how this works. So you've been part of two World Cup teams. How did the issue of equal pay when it comes to those championship bonuses, how did that play out on those teams you were on? Yeah, you know, that's a difficult um, kind of uh, river to cross, so to speak, because uh, the bonuses come from FIFA, which is the soccer's governing body. So that doesn't come from U.S. soccer. So it's it's difficult to kind of navigate those waters because, uh, you know, for example, the men's national team, um, I think their World Cup bonuses are in the range of, you know, $600 million that gets split up between the teams in the men's World Cup, whereas in the women's World Cup, it's something like $100 million that gets split up mm-hmm. uh, between all the teams. So uh, you're talking about, you know, just huge um, inequities uh, between the men and women, but that, it's hard. That come from the international stage. That come stage. from the international stage. So it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to navigate those kind of things. Um, so I think this worked out really well that uh, that within our uh, U.S. soccer kind of spectrum, we're able to um, to split up those proceeds and make it fair and equitable for everybody. Yeah. So one example of this, in 2015, your World Cup championship team was awarded about $2 million in bonuses. The, winnings men's, the winning men's team, Germany, took in $35 million. So exactly. that's just, as you say, that comes from a level even beyond the USA level. How would that work now um, with this collective bargaining agreement? So the women and whatever comes in for the U.S. women and the U.S. men all goes into one pot? Exactly. Yep. So uh, any Women's World Cup year, if we win um, and we are awarded the about $2 million, uh, we'll split that with the men. And in turn, on a Men's World Cup year, whatever they're awarded as bonus, uh, they'll split with us. So um, yeah, everything, th- that's the great thing about this uh, collective bargaining agreement, that everything is, is equal now. Um, and I think uh, it, it not just in terms of of money. I think that's something that's kind of gets lost in in the dialogue is that we're really the thing that we were fighting for most is all of the just equal treatment. Uh, we were fighting for um, equal travel arrangements, equal hotel accommodations, um, equal staffing, um, things like that. That just it didn't make sense that that wasn't uh, that that wasn't equitable. So um, I think th- those are huge things that came out of this collective bargaining agreement. Is that uh, no longer will there be any discrepancies between what the men are awarded and what the women are. Yeah, and that, um, you know, there's been some previous reporting. There were big differences between where the men got put up and the women got put up. So now going forward, they have to be equal. They have to be equivalent. Yeah, everything will be equal. Um, Yeah, so if the men are traveling, you know, first class or if they're traveling on a charter flight uh, to certain competitions, the women will travel that way as well. Mm -hmm. So this is a big change. At the same time, it was somewhat risky um, for the women who spoke out to speak out. There's kind of some mixed pressure here. People say things like, well, you're just so lucky to just be getting to play professional sports at all. Did you struggle with how to sort of balance, you know, the gratitude for the life that you have with just the unfairness of the system that you were playing within? Yeah, you know, that's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. You know, I, st- I remember sitting in the room uh, back in 2015, which is when we sort of formally brought this complaint um, and boy, you know, I, I remember feeling very conflicted because you're right, like we weren't treated poorly. Um, we were able to make a living playing a sport that we love. So um, it kind of felt, you know, I, I didn't know where the line was of, yes, we need to push the sport forward. We need to fight for equality. Um, but also, I'm still extremely grateful for, for what we were given. So um, yeah, I think that's maybe something that a lot of people that a lot of women struggle with is sort of how do you 
how do you how are you grateful for what you do have while continuing to push for for more? So that that was a line that was tough for me to navigate. Yeah. I understand one of the changes that really laid the groundwork for this decision was the founding of the National Women's Soccer League in 2013. How did the existence of that pro league sort of change the position for women's soccer players? Yeah, that had a lot to do with it. Um, So in the former uh, collective bargaining agreement, the women's national team had a um, guaranteed contract. So we were paid, uh, you know, a yearly salary that was guaranteed. That was that was basically our what we lived on. Um, And so uh, but we didn't have a professional league. So the men, uh, they were paid their guaranteed salary basically through their professional league. And then they were given bonuses to play with the national team. So mm-hmm. completely different um, collective bargaining agreements. It was really apples and oranges. There was nothing that you, you really couldn't compare the two. Now the women have a pro league that's sustainable, that has taken off. It's doing great. Um, it continues to grow. And that uh, has afforded the women the ability to, to sort of live off of those paychecks. So now we can be treated a little bit, uh, uh, you know, uh, the same way as the men um, and use this national team experience as sort of a bonus. Do you feel like um, your career as a player, I know you're, you're still in the middle of your career as a coach, but that it would have been much different if that would have been on the table, if some of these other things would have been options? Well, you know, yes and no, because, um, you know, you never play for the dollar signs, and um, I don't know how much it would have changed. I, I feel very fortunate, very lucky to have been able to play the years I was able to with the national team um, and, and and play the sport I love and make a living doing it. Um, so, you know, certainly uh, you always you always want to push for more and sort of um, – you want to push so that future generations, uh, you know, uh, have more, uh, yeah. have more than you had. And I think that's uh, that's the exciting thing about this collective bargaining agreement. And do you feel like as a coach now, um, you know, for your top women's players, you can say, hey, there's there's really a future in this. Like, I can see all these opportunities before you. That must be exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I look at all the, the young girls that are out there running around on the soccer fields today. And it's just, you know, I think we, not the team, uh, the team has set them up for so much success and so much um, just a higher ceiling for them. So um, that's really exciting. That really makes me happy and makes me proud. I understand that. And this was something that was solved earlier in the year, that there had been a lawsuit and the women won $22 million in back pay. And that was contingent on working through this collective bargaining agreement. So now that that has been worked through, is that something that's that's going to affect you? You'll get some back pay. Uh, I wish. Oh, no. <laughs> I wish. I don't. Uh, <laughs> um, no, unfortunately, the, the that um, lawsuit was separate from the one that we initially filed in 2015. So that, unfortunately, does not include the years that I played on the team. I know, darn, but that's okay. That's okay. We are moving things forward. We're moving things in the right direction. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have been a part of the start of this whole thing. And, and the, the players on the team currently, they've put so much work and so much effort into getting this done. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you have a good attitude about this. You're happy for the sisters that came behind. That's and, right. Yeah. <laughs> So switching gears a bit, um, you've grown close with a member of the Afghan national soccer team. This is Leili Armahan. She's now been resettled in St. Louis. That's thanks to the International Institute. She just kind of ended up here randomly, as as happens for refugees. How did you two end up meeting? Yeah, it's just an incredible story. Um, she she came from uh, Kabul about uh, 
uh, back in January or so. Um, she, of course, was a member of the Afghanistan women's national team. And because of her status as a, a female soccer player and, you know, kind of an empowered woman, uh, when the Taliban came in, uh, she was a target. And so she was fear, fearful of her life. Um, she was able to escape um, and, and kind of became a refugee. So she bounced around to a couple different refugee camps and ended up here in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, what an incredible opportunity I've had to to get to know her, uh, to be introduced to her. And, and I think um, it's, it's, you know, the thing that I find to be so powerful about it is just the connection that, that sports has, that, that sports can bring people together from vastly different backgrounds yeah. and, every, and 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 here we are um in st louis and and i've been able to be connected with with Laley. so uh incredible story um and and yeah appreciate any support uh for her because she is going through a tough time as you can imagine oh, um having just, to start all over just, exactly yeah yeah how's she doing she's doing well she is she's working um she is you know basically just trying to make a life here she's uh, has a, an apartment um, and and trying to learn English, which, as you can imagine, would be a pretty difficult task. Uh, but just just this is her home now. Um, she's incredibly grateful to be here, and uh, it's it's really inspiring to see her just continue to push forward through the adversity that she's faced. Yeah. So you've set up a GoFundMe for her. All those funds are going directly to her just to help her with just day to day expenses. Exactly. We are really trying to help her with her housing um, so that that's an expense that she can take off of her plate so that she can. And, uh, you know, just start to to to, to, to get her, her footing, you know. Uh, she's also sending money back home. Her whole family is back in Afghanistan. Oh, um, wow. And so, yeah, it's a difficult situation. Uh, but, yeah, we appreciate any support that, that the listeners can give. So that GoFundMe, we have a link on our website, stlonair.show. We're also going to tweet that out now. So if you're on Twitter or if you just want to Google Twitter, <laughs> at stlonair, you can go directly to that GoFundMe that Lori set up for Laylee. And are you and Laylee playing soccer together sometimes? We kick the ball around a little bit. She's also, I've got two two little girls, and they kick the ball around with her as well. So she's really uh, kind of become a, a, a part of our family and a part of uh of, of what we do. So she's an incredible woman. And, and yeah, we just, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have been introduced. Well, Lori Lawson, I want to thank you for joining us. Also, thank you for these efforts just to make St. Louis a, a welcoming place. I think that's amazing. Yeah, thank you. And Lori is the head women's soccer coach at Maryville University. We do need to take a quick break, but coming up next, we'll explore the new documentary film about wrestling at the chase. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.